0: The following podcast features discussions of an adult nature. Listener discretion is advised.
1: Hello everyone, welcome to... Another other stuff you should know, my name is Forrest. Before we get into our special guest today, I do want to give everyone a heads up. Lauren will not be in this episode again. Specifically, she had a medical emergency at the last second. So hopefully she's going okay and everything's totally fine. So the way I'm going to introduce this next particular person is by something that I've been my main mission with this particular podcast. The biggest thing is that obviously sex positive. I want to be able to talk about sex and be supporting of people who choose to do sex work or have no issues talking about sex. The main thing too is, again, I wanted, like I said, diversity is super important to me. So for my guest, I have been following this person for years. Um, and what I love about our guest is uh, he is trying or is doing something that I think is very important is to make, make his himself known or make Uh, people of color more known that people might not have ever thought about. So I'm very excited to introduce Ali Mushtaq. So Ali Mushtaq is a speaker, educator, writer, and consultant with a major passion for BDSM and fetish. He has a PhD in sociology from UC San Francisco. He was also named Long Beach Mr. Leather 2016. Um, He's also been holding courses and webinars that focus on personal empowerment. But more recently, that has definitely caught my attention, is he started a series called BDSM 101 that has an aim to educate on various practices within the BDSM community. So, Ollie, welcome to Coming and Other Stuff You Should Know. Thank you for having me. I am very excited because I think it's super important that we get to hear from every, every person within the spectrum to talk about sex. And I think you are definitely someone that I wanted to highlight on this show. So thank you, thank you, thank you for coming to hang out with us today.
0: Well, yeah, I really appreciate it. And, you know, any opportunity to really like talk about sexuality and mm-hmm. really getting people engaged with their um, bodies and their ability to kind of feel oneself, you know, is, is just sort of something I just want to help people do. And I want to help them do it in a way where it's safe um, and not only, but safe, but also thinking about the idea of being able to expand. So mm-hmm. and I want to give everybody that opportunity, regardless of who they are. So Absolutely. That's sort of where I, I fit into this big scheme of things.
1: I love it. So where where does your journey start? Like, where did it start?
0: Well, it actually started here in Orange County. Yeah, <laughs> Orange County. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I think that, like, with Orange County, like – it's when, it's it's a pl- it's a really interesting place. Like um, I feel like there's just so much potential here. Where mm-hmm. um, I know it, it's kind of seen as like the boonies compared to its bigger cities like L. A. and San Francisco, and to some degree San Diego. Um, but I think that there's just a lot of untapped potential with so many people into different things. I mean, we have so many communities here that are so uh, avant-garde and like burgeoning that we mm-hmm. always think like, yeah, it's just sort of Republican town. Um, like so, for example, like we have a thriving goth community. We have these amazing art communities, and um, we have this sort of punk scene that's sort of developed here. But I think that like it's interesting because uh, among all of these other communities, it seems like the one thing that hasn't been really represented very much um, is this idea of a, a large, strong like presence of sexual minorities, as well as um, the idea that like we are a community that we we emphasize diversity uh we don't necessarily then explore it um especially with orange county's demographics of like you know there's so many communities of color here like we have asian minorities of different ethnic backgrounds we have a uh, middle eastern minorities of different ethnic backgrounds we have i mean there's so many latin american communities of different and uh, and uh, um uh, also uh, mexican uh, communities that are uh, part of this so i mean there's just so many different people here it is just mm-hmm. there's just so much potential for it to go into different places and it's, it's just sort of been underutilized in just so many ways Um, But I feel like, you know, coming out of this environment breeds somebody like me. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Which is really bizarre um, because it's like, you know, on one hand, like, I mean, I went, I grew up in South County, which is basically this sort of, um, for those of you who don't know South County, like, it's basically um, places like Mission Viejo and Alyssa Viejo where it's very suburban, very cookie cutter. Think like, Mm -hmm. you know, the the Karen with the stroller. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's what I think. And, like, you know, I think that, like, even, like, as you mentioned, like, the idea of hooking up, I mean, it's really difficult because, like, everybody lives, like, maybe 20, you know, miles away from each other. Like, you know, I might live in Anaheim and you might live in Lake Forest. So that creates an yeah. issue of geography. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think that, like, you know, I grew up in this sort of place where it's, like, it, it's hard to access sexuality and it's hard to, um, you know, and, it, and it's sort of this sort of leave it to Bieber cookie cutter world. But at the same time like i eventually then grew up uh in north county which is in anaheim and then that sort of just like you know like i, I went to a private high school for um you know my like uh, ad- uh, forming years in my adolescence like it was just one of those things where i'm just like oh my god like you know it, it was just so stuffy um mm-hmm. like so for example like the example i like to talk about all the time is just this one thing where when i came out at 15 Like, I wanted to start a GSA, a gay-straight alliance, and then they compared it to starting an abortion
1: club. Really? Yeah. That that, is depressing. Yeah.
0: So, and, and it was interesting because I think at the time, public institutions were required to have them, but, like, because it was private, they didn't have to do that. So it was just really disheartening. But then I found that, like, you know, for me, I like pushing up against those limits. And at the very least, like, it was just kind of an environment where, you know, it's like I knew I was different, but I knew mm-hmm. I also had to make a change. And yeah. so that was something that sort of stuck with me throughout these years. And that sort of then pushed me into this sort of world where it's like I'm not only being able to sort of, you know, shape and develop the conversation, but also being able to kind of, you know, get people to think about these things in ways they never thought about before.
1: Interesting. I love, I, I love that that's... I find it humorous that someone would equate a gay-straight alliance to an abortion club. That's, like, a really weird—I'm, like—like, even my head, as you were saying, I was, like, where—they don't meet (laughs) anywhere— (laughs) <laughs> yeah, Ever.
0: it was really you know, and, and again like uh it's a, it's like this school it's a private high school and mm-hmm. you know they're I think they were Mormon owned at the time even though oh. they were like they claimed that they were secretary uh not uh, they were non denominational and it was pretty secular um yeah. but that's the thing it was like it was a very conservative high school and then the people running it were very like they were very very conservative I mean the academics are great but they they didn't necessarily like helped me grow in other ways or ways yeah. in which that I like as a kid I, I found myself pushing up against because you know it's like I wanted to sort of you know I wanted this sort of holistic experience where, where I would be able to explore about myself and talk about issues um, and then it was interesting because like I feel like the closest I got to it was like maybe you know taking a psych class in high school and like that was kind of it AP psych and then I was like, okay, so I'm learning about this, but I'm not really learning what I want to learn, like in terms of like, okay, so let's talk about inequality. Let's talk about, you know, mm-hmm. um, wh- like, let's talk about context. Let's talk about ways in which we can change these things because, you know, I and I thought it was interesting. Mm-hmm. I just didn't, you know... I, I, I just didn't have that sort of fodder growing up to the point where I was able to kind of be like, yeah, like, I feel completely supported. But at the same time, you know, even not being supported led for me to be think, like, yeah, like, you know, later on growing up, like, I don't want people to feel like that. So that's sort okay. of how I sort of came into this person that you see now.
1: Hmm. <laughs> were, you, were you the only... Were you the only Middle Middle Eastern within your school?
0: No. So basically, I mean, identify as broadly like South Asian, but mm-hmm. like, you know – I, no, like, we were a very ethnically diverse um, school because, like, we okay. actually had, like, international students, um, and I think at the time it was largely um, a large Korean population, but, mm. no, there were other, like, Indian and Pakistani kids there. There um, uh, there were, very, like, there were maybe several white students, but they weren't, like, all, like it wasn't, like... Um, Predominantly it, white. Yeah, it was, a, it, again, it was a very sheltered experience because, it, you know, in general, like... Um, Orange County is very much segregated by different ethnic groups. And Mm -hmm. so, like, for me, like you know, my high school was, it was, it was basically like the non-typical high school experience in terms of demographics-wise. So it wasn't like living in Iowa, but it, because again, like we did have that ethnic diversity, but it was only because again, like it was a certain group of kids. Uh, But it, but it was interesting because like, you know, I, my, my dad was a car salesman. So he was only like, he kind of was basically making, uh, helping me get there by the skin of his teeth kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it was one of those things where it was like, yeah, I didn't have the typical like like, you know, all-white experience. And I, that was something that I learned about after I got out. So mm-hmm. that was something, like, w- when I ter- when I dealt with, like, in terms of racial discrimination and stuff like that, like, that wasn't something I learned about until after I got out. Because it was a pretty, it was a bubble. And mm-hmm. it was something where it's, like, I didn't really understand how things worked until I left it. Yeah. Like, I mean, when I went to um, school at Cal State Fullerton as an undergrad, like, I was like, wow, like, people are working. Like, this was something that was <laughs> this important is a to thing. Me. This is a yeah. thing? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that was just something where I was just like, oh, well, like, this is really interesting. Like, so, again, like, my, that particular world was a bubble in and of itself. Mm-hmm. And it was a, it was a kind of a bubble where it was just like, you know, again, it was very conservative. And again, like, it was something where, like, the academic side was very much like, that was pretty much what was pushed as opposed mm-hmm. to the self-exploration, et cetera, et cetera. And it was actually really weird. Cause I mean, I was a pretty mediocre student, like, you know, from nine to 10th grade. But then mm-hmm. when I started coming out and realizing that I was gay, then I started becoming an A student, which was really bizarre. And like, yeah. all of the, um, like all of the teachers were like really weirded out. Cause they're like, wow, like, you know, he's, you know, it's like, first it's like, oh, we don't really care much of him. And then they're asking me like how I started doing well on tests. And I, and I literally told them like, I cheated i was <laughs> just like, yeah, they're like, No, seriously, how did you do this? I'm like, Well, I just, you know, you know, I just started studying and I just did the thing. And it was only because I started really being true to myself mm-hmm. and really started to like, you know, accept who I was and that's and it's weird how that worked, but you know, it it really did make an impact on my ability to mm. do well in my coursework.
1: Interesting. So uh when did you get to have your first carnal experience? When did that happen?
0: Um, Oh, so that was basically right after I got out of high school. So basically, like what happened was I wanted so after being in this conservative bubble, I then got to um, my college experience and there I actually made friends. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I still keep in touch with those friends to this day. But what happened was um, I made friends and I joined the Queer Straight Alliance and I started, you know, going to like house parties, we called them gay parties at the time. (laughs) And we would just go to their house and we would drink and we would, you know, play video games and just have fun. Like it was it was a great time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what happened was like I there was a uh, a guy that was like a master's in counseling student. And he 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 and I kind of bonded around the idea of being this sort of open libertine. And -hmm. like he would introduce me to things like the L word and stuff like that. And eventually, like maybe a month or two into my college experience, I lost my virginity. So, like, mm, it was, okay. like, it was an interesting experience because then I started learning about things like, wow, like, I'm actually insanely into this. And the first time wasn't great. I mean, I don't mm. know if anyone's first time that was great anyways.
1: I don't think so. Yeah. I don't want to push that narrative I <laughs> anywhere. Yeah, I don't know.
0: I, I don't know. Like, all I know is that mine wasn't great. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, it was one of those things where it's like, you know, at the time I didn't really understand the distinctions between like love and sex and, uh, friendship and all those things. Mm-hmm. And cause I was 17 at the time. So mm-hmm. it was like, okay, well, I don't, well, I eventually didn't turn 18 that year, but like, I didn't know, um, I didn't really understand like the differences between those things. So of course, like I, I had this like weird, like puppy love with them. And, like, he's like, why why is this, like, 17-year-old, st- like, you know, calling me all the time? I don't understand this. So yeah. we would still hang out while I was still kind of, like, having a crush on him and we were sleeping together. So that was pretty interesting. And then what happened was um, he then had this weird, like, r- uh, relationship with someone else. And then this would happen for, like, a month or two. And then, like, I would still be sleeping with them. And I'm just like, what's going on here? So, it and so it was really interesting, because like, I thought I could, you know, at the time, like, you know, I, I thought I could really understand those distinctions, even though I wasn't like, mentally mature enough to do it. Mm-hmm. So now it's like, oh, well, like, you know, we sleep with each other. And it's like, a, you know, we're friends or whatever. And it doesn't mean yeah. anything but like you know back then obviously when you're when you're this you know immature 17 year old just fresh out of high school it's it's a different story yeah. so and again, like, you know, uh, you, I, I didn't have someone like me going, hey, you know, you might want to think about like this person that, that, that he might not really be into you, mm-hmm. and, you know, because it's like, yeah, because it's like I didn't really understand like, oh, well, maybe because he slept with me, maybe he liked me. So I you know, it, it was one of those things where it was like, oh, well, you know, I I, I was learning these differences. And so, of course, I got burned at the end. Mm-hmm. And it was – I was doing the 17 – and, again, I was doing the 17-year-old thing. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it was just something where I just sort of had to learn. And it was, yeah. um, it was an interesting growing experience because it was something that I didn't have to deal with before. And I'm like, now I have to deal with it. Because, again, like, yeah. you know – because normally I feel like kids deal with it in high school. But they're not – because, again, like, they're dating and they're, you know, mm-hmm. discovering they're who they are. Whereas mm-hmm. with me, like, I mean, I was the only out gay kid. And then, like, slowly mm-hmm. people were coming out because I came out. Yeah, But other than that, like, you know, I noticed that, like, um, yeah, I didn't have that uh, socialization, so I was getting it at that point. And so... Huh. Yeah, it, it was interesting where I started to, like, actually learn, like, all these things. But I also learned that I wanted to be this sort of, like, sexual libertine, too. Mm-hmm. So then I'm like, okay, so I really... So because I had these experiences, I really wanted to understand myself, and I really want to understand sexuality. Mm-hmm. So I ended up realizing that, like, maybe there's more to sexuality than I thought there was. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, fast forward, I ended up getting into grad school in San Francisco, and that was when I was able to get introduced to the leather world where everything kind of changed. So I went from mm-hmm. this like Twinkie, like Orange County aesthetic to this sort of, you know, leathery.
1: Fucking beefy, hairy, like <sighs> dream of a man. Oh, you're oh, too my g- I, I Girl, have you seen some of the photos? Like <laughs> I, the photos you take, I swear some people would look and go fuck yeah, I'm down for that. (laughs) Like, cause you, cause you, cause you still have a, cause it seems when I see pictures of you, you are, you are, you look to be someone who knows who they are. You are comfortable with who you are and you're not afraid to be who you are. And I find that people do think that that is something very attractive and very sexy. Then to add on this layer that you're into leather bondage is, is pretty awesome. And to see that is super cool to watch that growth which i think is super cool so what changed how did you change from just this tiny tiny south asian gentleman to like leather daddy like what what changed in between all of that
0: well i i i think it was just sort of uh well what happened was i think i don't know like i think i just had an opportunity to kind of just experiment And Mm -hmm. I was just like, well, I guess, you know, people like me when I have a beard and Mm -hmm. they like me when I don't shave off my body hair. So I guess (laughs) I'll keep it. (laughs) But it was actually interesting. It, you know, and, and even now, like, I'm even, like, thinking about, like, okay, so, like, maybe, you know, because, like, right now, like, I'm, I'm even, like, uh, dealing with this myself. It's, like, I'm thinking about, like, oh, like, maybe I'd probably be better if I was even more beefier. And, like, if I, like, just sort of accepted the fact that I am aging and the fact that, like, maybe, you know, it's okay to not be a Twinkie, you know, 20-year-old anymore as opposed to somebody who's more mature and also being more filled out. So mm-hmm. I'm still sort of even reconciling those changes myself. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's just the idea of, you know, having to just sort of discover in the moment that like, you know, this worked. So I ended up, you know, just sort of leaning into it.
1: I love that. So when you first started getting into BDSM and you're like, like kind of like the path started veering away, what were what were some things that were like, hard no's then that are like, I'm totally down for now?
0: Well, I, I'm not actually sure I had hard no's back then.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, I was like, I'm down for anything. Let's yeah, go. <laughs> that's
0: actually how I was. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I, I'll try anything once. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think that like in general, if, if anything, I feel like it's not necessarily so much a hard no so much as I feel like I'm just discovering like more things as I get older. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, for example, like, you know, even during this quarantine, it's been an excellent time to just sort of explore fetish and explore, like, mm-hmm. the things that I'm interested in sexually. Mm-hmm. So I feel like because if I were going, if I were really just, like, you know, not in a pandemic, I'd probably be just going to orgies or, like, BDSM play parties or something. Oh. And I would really be exploring. Yeah, I know, mm. I know, wishful thinking. But, uh. um, but I feel like, in general, like, my ability to sort of, like, expand sexually happened uh, it, it's happening as i get older mm-hmm. i don't know if it's age maybe i've been just sort of a shut in for the last eight months i don't know <laughs> but i think that like in general i didn't really have any hard nose in the beginning okay. although i would say that i think as i get older and i as i uh, progressed um things certainly got more refined okay. so yeah like for example it's like i learned that like i like this over this or i you know i prefer this sensation over this sensation or okay. like and or even like even play styles where it's like i prefer you know somebody hypothetically like checking in every 10 minutes or so if i'm mm-hmm. subbing right versus yeah. like somebody who just leaves me there to like rot for a while like, you know, those kind of my yeah. details uh-huh. but like um uh, and then again that's just a hypothetical but um yeah so i think that I it, it's just sort of getting more refined and specific and that's how i'm able to kind of develop and, like, give options to people as, like, in this particular
1: position that I'm in now. Okay. Which um, which position do you like more? Do you like to be a dom or do you like to be a sub? Which one do you tend to preference more? It's both.
0: And, and you know, when I say that uh, in my BDSM workshops and, like, uh, the way I teach it is that I, I tell them that, like, you know, the, that trust is super important. So, like, mm-hmm. especially, like, a lot of people come to me and they want to be better subs. Like, that seems to be, like, a big, like, trend. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because, you know, a lot of that ability to sub for somebody, it boils down to trust. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I teach them, you know, if you if you do things like consent right and if you actually hammer out everything beforehand, the more you're able to trust the person and have a mm-hmm. better time. And Mm. it's like, you know, and it's kind of like with me, I learned that lesson when I was subbing for a while where, Mm. like, for example, I'm like, well, you know, like I'm subbing now. All right. But if I, you know, if I was with the right person that I would want to sub with or whatever, I think I would I think I would have a better experience. And so Mm. what I ended up doing was I ended up learning how to be on the Dom site and I've done several people after that, too. And what happened was then I started learning like, like more of like the fine point of what I like. And so, I mean, I'm pretty I skilled at both. Mm-hmm. Um, and so basically, like for me, it's just kind of like something where it's like uh, if I'm working on the front end in terms of the subbing, I also want to be on the back end in terms of the dom- <laughs> <that's> funny. <laughs> um- <laughs> oh, I love yeah. it. But, but but see, I think that, you know, like, you know, and when I teach people these skills, it's like, I really emphasize, you know, n- not just sort of exploring different aspects of, you know, not only one's personality, but one's skill set. So then that way they become better at what they want to do. Okay. Uh, and so, and, it, and again, it's like, so for example, like, um, obviously, like you learn a lot by playing, not just from like a theoretical thing, but also by, like the actual experiences and, you know, I think that, like, we, you you learn by trial and error. So then you mm-hmm. see what worked, you see what didn't. And, you know, it's it's one of those things where when I when I experienced it, it's like, okay, so now I'm able to then incorporate it into the way I teach this to other people. Okay. So, yeah. I love
1: that. So uh, out of when you actually started working with it, what did you find to be your favorite so your favorite toy to play with like when you're in a session like what's your fit fa- like the first thing you grab and you're like i need this
0: well it depends so mm-hmm. um basically like what I, I like to think about bdsm and different kinds of play as sort of like an artist painting on a canvas mm, okay so basically like you you if i'm doming for example like it's almost like you're basically trying to create like a sensation in the person for them to not only kind of think about what you're doing, mm-hmm. but also to think about like, you know, what makes them feel good. Mm-hmm. Um, And so basically like the first I mean, what I like to do is I mean, I like to first if I'm doming like to check body parts because. Mm-hmm. To see, like, you know, just to kind of get an overall sense of, like, what does this person like stimulated, what this person doesn't like stimulated. And then you sort of then go from there. Mm-hmm. But again, like, um, it really just depends, though, on, like, the idea, because I think when I'm doming, I'm always just sort of thinking, how can I make the other person feel better? Mm-hmm. So I'm not necessarily thinking about, like, you know, wh- uh, um, what, you know, what I'm solely turned on by. Um, mm-hmm. because again, like, I mean, I'm turned on by the experience, but I'm also turned on by the fact that I'm able to do it well. So, <laughs> And um, that
1: comes with practice. Yeah,
0: <laughs> indeed. And then not only that, but, um, but then like, again, like, I mean, if, uh, but I also like uh, impact play especially like so for example like the floggers and like the single mm-hmm. tails and like those kinds of things that sort of elicit this sort of impacty thuddy or stingy sensations where you're actually striking another person mm-hmm. but again it, it's not really like a must but again I, I love having it done to me mm-hmm. um but as a sub but again it, it really just also depends on like what the goal is okay. um maybe yeah so I'm pretty yeah and it's really weird because I kind of have this uh um like I kind of have this sort of a analytical brain about like this because even the uh even though it's an art it's also very much a science too Mm -hmm. because hence the idea of like trying to like figure out like is your nipples working or is it Mm -hmm. your cock or is it like something that's like you know or maybe it's like your elbow or or whatever erogenous Mm -hmm. zone um but the idea is like you know like I'm also also thinking like how like what what am I also getting out of this as much as I want to make the other person Mm -hmm. uh feel like they're um so yeah, you know, actually, I want to make the other person feel like they're being dominated. Like mm-hmm. I, I, also want to basically touch for my own pleasure and be able to kind of like really just feel the sensation of me being able to control the situation. Okay. Um, yeah, but then also like when it comes to like the subby aspect, I also like the idea of like me not being in control. So mm-hmm. the idea that like someone else is then making the rules and determining them. But again, mm-hmm. it it really does boil down to trust. Okay. So I think yeah, if I were to if I were to literally hone this down to something, it would be that like either way as a suburb, I'd be able to trust the other person. Okay. That's what and turns you- me on the most.
1: Yes. Ah, I love that. So when you obviously because you are of South Asian and you're truly one of the few that I've seen really make an effort to make it known that everybody can like certain things, including bondage and BDSM. Um, Were there ever points in time, like if you went to like a, a bondage party or anything like that, where you were basically denied that because of because of who you are, like something you can't change? And how did that make you feel?
0: Well, the thing is, in general, like, okay, so I mean, I talk about this like in my BDSM class because I feel like in general when uh, when we're talking about, like, sex therapy and we're talking about things like, you know, how we can actually improve our sex lives,
1: mm-hmm. um,
0: it's interesting because, you know, I'm a sociologist, so basically I see things from a very, like, social and cultural lens. Mm-hmm. So basically for me, like, everything is all about society and, like, how it sort of comes into play, like, literally, literal play. Mm-hmm. Um, so and it's interesting because like, I mean, I've talked to several sex therapists and they're great at what they do, but what I feel I bring to it as a sociologist is that I think about things like race constantly or like Mm -hmm. gender or like age or whatever simply Mm -hmm. because like, you know, that's just, you know, I'm a racial minority. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting because like, I mean, I know that when I'm playing that people do see me not only as a a dom or a sub, but they see me as a brown dom or brown sub. Mm -hmm. So, and and it's interesting because then I can kind of see that part of the appeal that sort of becomes like integrated into that and so what i do is you know i I talk about like the uh basically these ideas where you know that in order to sort of really come to the ability to really empower yourself and to gain that trust we have Mm -hmm. to sort of work through our associations of like different sort of cultural baggages and stuff like that Mm -hmm. so for example like talking about the association of how we sort of look at other minorities as like dirty or like, you know, all, all those kinds of things, or like, how do we then also exoticize them to certain degrees. Uh, and it's interesting because it's like the reason why we find things erotic in the first place is because they are exotic and Mm -hmm. so because that's the case it's like well huh like why is it that i'm really attracted to these things then you have to for me i I help point out like these different factors in which people kind of think like oh well so maybe if you know i'm really in this context and i'm finding this erotic then how am i able to sort of work through it in order to kind of become better at it yeah um and so i mean he's speaking to my experience personally like so for example like you know people kind of already assume when they're reaching out to me for like a play session that i'm a dominant already even though i'm a switch as i sort of mentioned um mm-hmm. I, I guess i've implied but um it's interesting because like that assumption sort of always made about me and it's sort of like okay well i mean i can do this for you but it's like well but those initial assumptions though are coming from this sort of cultural context mm-hmm. and it's really fascinating because like within this cultural context it's like you know, I, I even tell my clients that are of color, like, you know, this will always kind of be there when you're sort of in these play spaces. So this is something that you can either use to your benefit or you can sort of work out ahead of time for them not to deal, not you know, not to like even bring with, bring it up. But for those who aren't racial minorities, and it's like so basically even then, like your sense or our sense of like what we find attractive is still rooted in those other things, even if we're not even acknowledging it. Mm-hmm. So for me, what I like to do is I sort of like to help people sort of identify those by yeah. talking about certain trends and patterns. And then what I do is I then um, find ways to then sort of help them work through it. So then they actually do, are able to like, you know, create a better sense of trust with their partner. Uh, through uh, basic communication skills and stuff like that.
1: Okay. And then 2016, you became Long Beach's Mr. Leather. Yes. Can you believe that?
0: It, it, it was just one of those things where, again, like, so a lot – so kind of, like, uh, thinking about, like, even the reason why I'm doing this in the first place was because, like – you know, I wanted, uh, I, I, because I sort of mentioned I grew up in a bubble, I didn't really understand things like racial inequality and gender inequality and all these kinds of ideas until I left high school. Like, I, I didn't understand it. Mm-hmm. I mean, all I mean I kind of knew already, because we kind of lived in, like, a post-9-11 world, that, you know, because you're a Muslim, like, you're going to be called a terrorist. And actually, it did happen several times. But, Yikes. It, well, but it was something where it's like, I didn't really understand, though, because mm-hmm. it's like, it's like, okay, so, like, yeah, I remember, like, you know, being in junior high and like this was something where it's like crap. But I mean, thankfully, like, again, we were very diverse. Like there were several Muslims on at school. So it wasn't like a thing where, you know,
1: it, it, wasn't, it wasn't an isolated situation. Yes.
0: So, I mean, at least you know, it wouldn't be a situation where I would be alone in this. So it was actually mm-hmm. pretty mollified. But I feel like if I went anywhere else, it probably would have been way worse. But. Mm. Um, but yeah, so I mean, that's sort of when I dealt with it, but I didn't really understand racial discrimination until I grew up and I started going to the bars and stuff like that as, a, um, as you know as, a, 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 you know, as somebody in their early 20s, and their mid 20s, mm-hmm. like I didn't really understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was something where I started to, when I started to go to the bars and started to see like the fact that people didn't look like me uh, as like the go-go dancers and stuff like that. Where I was just like, yeah, this is a little weird. Like, I'm like, I'm wondering why. And it wasn't a body type issue. Because, I mean, there's some pretty, like, jacked up, you know... Uh you know, South Asians and Indians out there. And, and again, like we, and like, especially in Southern California, like, you know, we're not, we're not in like certain, like, you know, neighborhoods and stuff like that. Like we're basically like all over, like, we're not like, yeah. like in Orange County, like we have like, you know, little Gaza, the Middle Eastern area, we have like mm-hmm. little Vietnam, uh, little Saigon, et cetera, et cetera. But we didn't, we do not necessarily have that equivalent. I mean, we had Pioneer Boulevard, but the young people didn't necessarily live there anymore. It was mostly mm-hmm. people that immigrated here. So because we didn't I didn't necessarily see that in L.A. growing up, it was really strange because it was like, okay, so like, why isn't there anybody like me? Mm -hmm. So that's and then sort of I started to kind of then see this as I kind of started, you know, interacting in the leather world where, you know, it was a kind of thing where I kind of did see that, like, you know, people were possibly treating me differently because I was. South Asian. So like people would always ask me, like, where are you from or like all these kind of questions that sort of like I'm like, I'm from Orange County. And they're like, no, no, no. Where are you really from? And it was just something that irritated me. Uh So basically, because of microaggressions like that and then learning about things that happened in the past, like, for example, how some gay bars and some leather bars required like three forms of ID for people that were black and brown Um, They basically, you know, were very discriminatory in terms of like, who represented them and all these kinds of things. So that was something where I started to see that. Um, I also noticed that there were there's also like in general in the leather world, like this thing where people of color often relegated to like volunteer and service positions, so like they're often like fundraising, doing a lot of community work and community activism, which is great, mm-hmm. but they're not necessarily the ones representing the community and like mm-hmm. basically doing nothing. And I remember when I like before I even won my title, um, like I remember even, you know, being a part of Onyx as a senior officer, a Leatherman of Color group, mm-hmm. and it was interesting because they would say things like, "Oh well, you know, like none of these like people, none of these title holders are like working or like they're not really fundraising." And it was interesting because it's like they placed a premium on doing the volunteer work. Mm -hmm. And, And of course, I've done my share of fundraising, I've fundraised for my various minority charities. But it was interesting because, like, what they would do is they would say things like that. And I'm like, huh, that's interesting. So it's like they're the ones doing the work, but they're not the ones, like, chilling and doing nothing and just being mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, fawned over. Mm-hmm. And it was really interesting to kind of see those forms of discrimination. So no one's, you know, I, I in general, like, no one's going to, like, use in, for the most part, like, I mean, it might have happened a couple of times, I'm sure. But, you know, no one's going to use overtly discriminatory language, but it's sort of subtle in the way that these worlds are sort of created. Mm-hmm. Um, And then not only that, but then there's also this thing called race play, which obviously like is about this idea of sexualizing like a master and slave from like slavery times in like Mm -hmm. in America's history. Mm -hmm. So basically, you know, a lot of folks dealt with that kind of discrimination where people tried to basically put them in situations, uh, people of color in situations where they were sort of like, you know, called the N word and they were asked to like sort of. Role play as a slave
1: like it's not not to like you a feel lesser
0: yeah so i mean it's not necessarily slave in the sense of like you know you are it, like you are a slave, and uh, from a master slave kind of thing, versus like a it's a master slave from slavery thing, from like the ni- Yeah, so this is yeah. So the, so there's the master slave relationship with like the dominant something versus the dominant something that's actually rooted from American history and mm. slavery. So mm. that, that, that's what I mean. I have to clarify that. So yeah. like what it, so what they would do is like for some they would see that as acceptable, whereas. People that were that happened to be black or other folks tended to think that like that was of course unacceptable because that mm-hmm. would obviously you know reinforce certain racial inequalities. So when I was seeing all of this, that's what sort of then sort of led me to kind of run in. Granted, like you know I ran for a couple titles before Long Beach, mm-hmm. and you know I didn't win, and I was just like huff puff, you know I'm gonna you know, huff puff. Why isn't this working? And then eventually like you know I, I and those were like the more of the local titles, but then for Long Beach Leather, Long Beach Leather went to IML. And so when I eventually got that one, after I built up a sort of reputation over a certain period of time, mm-hmm. like what ended up happening was that then put me, that sort of expanded my p- platform. So it actually kind of, you know, worked out in that way where I was able to create that platform mm-hmm. uh, because of Long Beach Leather. Um, but, and I really, you know, thank, you know, Long Beach Leather for that opportunity. And it was just sort of one of those things where, um, you know, it, I was able to now, be, you know, develop this sort of national, international profile because, you know, I'm able to now be on a bigger stage. So actually it kind of worked out in a good way. Yeah, and I sort good. Of made, so it, it's like, uh, it, it was just one of those things where I was like, yeah, like, you know, after now I'm in this process, now I'm doing the title holder thing. And now I'm able to kind of, like, chill and stuff like that. And I noticed, actually, I actually did notice, though, that, like, my, like, fundraising responsibilities actually, like, lessened afterwards. Like, I mean, I actually had to fundraise a couple of times as part of my title. But, like, it actually, like, the service component was a lot less. Mm, and okay. um, while the service component was a lot less, like, it really then showed me the kind of disparities that kind of were um, in the leather BDSM world where like you have the minorities working the events, mm-hmm. but they weren't necessarily like chilling. And it was really interesting to kind of see like uh, how these things kind of played out. And then I started to see then I sort of then learned about like what the rest of the country was like, because up until that point, like, I mean, I lived primarily in California, Northern Southern California, but then I started going to places like Maryland, Chicago and like um, Washington, D.C. and all these other places. And it was really interesting because then I was learning really about what Amer- race in America was like. And because, mm-hmm. I mean, I knew it from an academic perspective, but I never experienced it. Yeah. And and it was very interesting because, I mean, I saw distinctions between the East Coast and West Coast. I saw, like, you know, like the way, like like what was valued and what wasn't.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I started to kind of see, like, there was just kind of a type that was sort of valued. So it was like... The, it, it was like uh, I, I want to I um, think like it, it was just this kind of image of like um, it was like the white kind of it's like the white either really older or like the white really like, Younger. you know, re- like they st- stero- steroided out. So like they're not necessarily mm. like body they're they're like they're they're not leaned out with like, you know, like uh, like an, uh, like an uh, Andrew Christian model, but they're, they're like more whole. St- yeah Yeah, they're hulky st- steroidy kind and you know no, wow. no shame on that i mean if that's their decision that's their decision mm-hmm. but it's just the idea of like that's just sort of what was valued culturally within these spaces mm-hmm. and so it, it was just it was really interesting because i mean for, I, for me like i like to think of myself as in shape but that wasn't something that at you know that wasn't something that uh, i didn't embody so mm-hmm. then for me it was all about learning to be like you know what this is who i am and like this is you know and mm-hmm. like you know, I I feel like I can sort of carve out a space for myself within this community.
1: Interesting. So I want to jump back to how you and when you're actually playing. Mm -hmm. My co-host, unfortunately, which I'm still sad she's not here. uh, In our first episode, she made a point to say that aftercare was very important to her, that it was something that even just in straight up sex like no one does aftercare anymore. So, I'm actually kind of interested because I know and I've heard that in BDSM aftercare is important and it's not practiced as much. What do you what do you, what is your aftercare process in general?
0: Well, actually, you know, I think I've been fortunate to in the sense that like, you know, I've uh, I've generally played with people that it didn't that did engage in aftercare and actually that was kind of um I I think maybe I guess in that sense I was lucky um but it was interesting because um even when I teach my BDSM classes like I really emphasize that the aftercare process is all about decompression winding down but also feedback Mm -hmm. because it's like you know you you kind of want to know what went well and what didn't because then Mm -hmm. you kind of become a better player Mm -hmm. so I mean, I feel like it's super important.
1: Okay. Okay. So then how far into the BDSM journey did you start becoming an educator and holding courses and things like that?
0: So like, um, so basically, I mean, I've always been somebody that teaches, like I've taught for 10 years at the college level. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so I mean, for me, like it was just a situation where it's like, I mean, I'm able to, I, I'm, I'm very like. I I love talking about the uh, abstract things, specifically things related to like, you know, like random cl- random things that you only hear in, like, a humanities class, like Foucault and, like, all the other things,
1: mm-hmm. but
0: I love talking about it in ways in which people don't necessarily, like, see the application until they actually tell them what the application is. Mm-hmm. So, like, I remember teaching an LMFT workshop on mm-hmm. um, BDSM and race. Specifically, mm-hmm. like, I was basically teaching future therapists on how to become uh, more kink positive, but also understanding that there are other intersections as well. Mm-hmm. So, so that sort of was like my like trajectory in terms of starting the actual formal courses that I'm doing now Mm -hmm. Um, but like I mean I've always been teaching like other college students about like you know in addition to the courses I already taught like Mm -hmm. I've, I've, I've done several workshops at several universities that focus on you know what is the leather world like and like well how is it that like these people understand their sexualities and create it etc cetera, etc cetera. and generally like they, they were very like theory oriented so they're more like grounded in like academic content mm-hmm. um like i never was the person in the beginning that actually said like okay so you take a flogger by the handle and then you hit them at a certain place so <laughs> so yeah I, I so that sort of transition that happened later on and when i started to realize that like I wanted to help people really kind of understand, like, um, I I wanted people to kind of understand, um, like, not only how to sort of merge the BDSM, but also do it in a way where they're also able to push their limits. And that's where I saw my intervention coming in terms of the sort of sex education world was that, you know, when you you see folks... um, that teach, like, basic BDSM courses, they say, okay, so you got your consent, you got your safety, Here's a ta- let's talk about flogging impact play, let's talk about sensation play and bondage. Okay, but for me, like, I wanted to sort of merge my theoretical and academic background into um, my courses and make actual, like actual practical recommendations for people in order to explore their sexuality while they are practicing BDSM. Mm -hmm. And so what I ended up doing was I then sort of created a course that not only covered the basics, but I also then expanded on like, okay, so like now let's talk about the different kinds of, you know, work that you can do in order to sort of expand on how you then explore your sexuality. And so this is where, like, my courses come in, because, like, I not only teach BDSM from a practical standpoint, but then I also am able to merge my academic background into the lessons. So they not only become competent at BDSM, but they're also able to then explore their own sexualities and become and like at least develop that comfortability so that they then explore more. Okay. and so, like, for example, what I do in my BDSM courses is, of course, like, we're going to, I'm like, you know, any responsible person will teach, like, consent and safety. <laughs> um, consent, but, is uh, yes, consent is sexy. Consent is sexy. Exactly. And, I, you know, and as I mentioned before, like, I teach it with the idea that, um, you know, the more you have consent, the more you trust the person, the better the experience is. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I'm also teaching them, like, for example, you know, why isn't knowing about the culture of, like, society, you know, why is that important to understanding yourself in relation to the way that you understand sexuality and BDSM, mm-hmm. and, like, I help people through different, like, assignments to kind of, like, think about, like, and they're not even formal at all, they're just sort of ways in which to get people thinking about, like, what are the things affecting me so then I can sort of work through them and, like, get better at this skill. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, so many people, again, ask me, how do I become a better sub? how do I become a better Dom? Mm -hmm. and so again like the only way to do that isn't through isn't through teaching somebody how to simply flog although that's part of it um but like yes the technical skill is very important but there's also more, just,
1: there's more things that have to go into
0: yeah it, it's the sort of emotional and psychological stuff and and mm-hmm. for me because I'm a sociologist like I understand these problems to be very much rooted in culture like so like again like when it, when people deal with issues of shame or body image or like um, problems of being like you know somebody actually told me they're like I feel uncomfortable you know um in a setting where you know somebody's being discriminated against in a scene so it was interesting because i was like wow that's really interesting because like my like workshop then addresses how you know we can then deal with that Mm -hmm. and so again like you know what prevent like so like if you're asking like oh so how do i get into how do i get in touch with myself in order to become a better bottom well what you can do is think about some of the factors that affect you you, your life and Mm. your upbringing and all these other things and in an organized way like how can you then go through that and then like be able to be like yeah that's sort of what it is and then maybe you know take it to somebody who is like a therapist and be like yeah so these are the things i need to work out or even by being able to identify it's like okay so maybe like you know i internalize these negative messages of religion growing up and so therefore maybe I can now realize like those were those messaging, but you know, now it's like I can, you know, by, by basically telling myself, well, that's not me anymore or whatever, then that, then we can move on from there. But my goal is to help them identify it. Mm -hmm. So then at least they're able to be like, yeah, that's what that is. And then Mm -hmm. therefore they can move past it.
1: Okay. I love that. So if you were to develop your own like dungeon, like you, mm-hmm. like unlimited budgets, you can do whatever oh, the yeah. hell you want. I already see the, the, the wheels like turning. What would you want to, like how, Like what would you want in the room? Like in if you create uh, your own dungeon, what do you got? We'll Tell me everything.
0: I've uh, I've I've thought about this question millions and millions of times. Yeah, <laughs> no, like I I mean like actually my goal is to set it, like you know to have a, not only a, like a place where I'm able to kind of like set up a dungeon and an office and a bedroom and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But um but yeah no I mean so what I would do is I mean it would be dark with like red lighting a sling in the middle and then a bunch of floggers and whips and then restraints and mm-hmm. uh, maybe like a bed. I do a bed with leather sheets um, and then like, you know, with the blindfolds and then the restraints and stuff like that. So, I mean, that's sort of how I would sort of design it in the beginning. Um, and then maybe like, you know, for other people, like other people really want that sort of ritualized sort of like, you know, like degradation, so like maybe mm-hmm. like yeah you know, uh maybe like creating things like candles and all those other things depending on the experience, um, because another in addition to basically being able to talk about the sort of cultural element, I also talk about the spiritual dimensions to BDSM as well. Mm-hmm. So I'm able to then sort of not only help people. You know deal with the baggage but i'm also able to help people deal with you know being able to sort of become empowered and really connect with themselves mm-hmm. and so again like in my ideal dungeon what i would then do is basically create a situation where that other person can connect with me but also being able to connect better connect with themselves
1: i love that that's that's so fascinating to like have that little moment so obviously I'm pretty certain you've been asked about this particular thing I'm going to ask next. Um, What, how did Fifty Shades of Grey get everything, like, what did it get wrong about BDSM and bondage?
0: Oh, I mean, so many things, like, there's, there's major consent issues, Mm -hmm. um, because I think, and it's actually interesting, because from what I hear, and, you know, don't quote me on this, because I've never actually read Fifty Shades of Grey, um, Mm -hmm. and I've actually never read Twilight,
1: but- oh girl, you ain't missing much. Uh, the so- books the Twilight books aren't too bad. And to be honest and open open transparency, I've have not read the fifty shades books, but I've seen the movie. Only the well, first one. So
0: it's so- I mean, I'm a big Twilight addict, to full disclosure, Um, but, um, uh, you know, I've only seen the movies, but all I know is with with Fifty Shades of Grey, though, the Fifty Shades of Grey basically ripped the Twilight formula, and they applied Mm -hmm. it to BDSM, Mm -hmm. and so because of that, there was, like, a lot of things that were, like, unconsensual, um, and there were, like, major, major, like, consent issues, so, like, you know, not asking, not being able to kind of, like, you know, Mm -hmm. um, really hammer out details, and, like, not asking for consent, and that's similarly, I mean, look at Twilight, like, Mm -hmm. there was this sort of, like, unhealthy code Dependency that was happening and all these other things Mm -hmm. so i mean i think that like you know my biggest concern with 50 shades of gray would be the consent issue okay um yeah and i mean there's other issues as well but i think if i were to pick just one it would be consent and um yeah like i think that like that's something that i mean i value as somebody within this community because uh you know in general i think you know I I feel like because, you know, I talk about trust so much, it's like, you know, you cannot really be in a position to sort of fully explore yourself if you're not given that consent Mm -hmm. and that space to kind of like, you know, be who you are. Yeah. So and it's like with that depiction, like it was just basically, you know, violating her consent over and over and over and over again. And it wasn't okay. So, yeah, I think that would be my biggest critique of it
1: do you find that people still have that like that mentality in their mind when they're when they're brand new baby like leather you know is that does that mentality still exist or ha or have we kind of moved past that
0: well uh, so i think it depends on who you ask Mm -hmm. um because i think that like there's some communities that know about consent backwards and forwards Mm -hmm. then there are communities that think they know consent backwards and forwards and then there are people that don't know anything at all Mm -hmm. so i think that like you know depending on where you're falling it kind of depends so like for example like i remember like reaching out to folks in india and i've I've sold like my course uh to folks around the globe essentially Mm -hmm. um and so some of those folks especially in india like you know they don't have like the training to Um, work with like consent so like they basically go like I'm gonna be this master and I'm just gonna like you know like i'm just gonna go and do things to you Mm -hmm. and you know that can be very problematic especially when they're not hammering out details and stuff like that beforehand Mm -hmm. and it's so it's interesting because like when i work with them they're like oh wow like you know i didn't realize like there were all these things that like i had to like know before because then like because then you know some people come to me and they're like oh yeah i had these bad experiences it's like yeah and like how much are you dealing with consent so
1: they are like um sorry what do you talk what what's that what's that concept
0: yeah so that's sort of what that's sort of been the case when i've been dealing with those clients and then with the other clients like they said that like oh they knew about consent but then when i actually give gave them the workshop they're like oh so that's what that was so it's really it's it's really interesting because it's like um, it really just depends. But again, like it's super important to like have the basic skills of being able to withdraw consent Mm -hmm. and to really being able to be like, yeah, you know what, I'm not going to do that. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, and I think that in general, like for most people, like they're getting comfortable with their bodies and sexualities. And so being with a person that's able to do that, it's really important. And so hence why I emphasize the trust aspect and being able to build that. And so I sort of provide strategies in order to do that but again it's just a question of how you're able to um actually uh it's it's really like being able to ever foster that consent and like again if you don't have that consent down then mm-hmm. that could be very problematic
1: yeah mm-hmm. okay so now looking forward obviously like covid be damned this has been a very interesting time in history but um once we are able to pass this lovely big ass roadblock that is COVID nineteen. What would be what are things that you have wanted to do in terms of continuing to teach or and and doing that, especially in terms of bondage and BDSM? What do what are your plans and wanting to move forward?
0: So I think I'm probably what I wanna do is probably kind of first of all just go to like slammers or Midtown Spa or something to kind of take a break. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, yes, cause I mean, Yeah, because I mean, I think at this point, like, you know, I think we, call, we, we kind of like, um, we earned it.
1: Yes, we <laughs> earned <have. laughs> it. I um, need a cigarette. This is how much I needed it. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that, that's sort of how I'm at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, after that, I think that, like, you know, where I'm going with this is I'm, I think I'm sort of looking at different communities and sort of addressing their needs. Mm-hmm. So, for example, like um, with the idea of the spiritual BDSM aspect, mm-hmm. I'm trying to take it right now and I'm trying to figure out a way to sort of reach audiences that are concerned about spirituality. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, like, you know, the idea of being able to connect to oneself and other people um but also the idea that you know be that we are like i think that this experience has taught us that like you know we're all isolated but we're also together in that isolation so i Mm -hmm. really kind of want to take it further with that end uh to really expand on those classes Mm -hmm. but also like um uh trying to get like a book on bdsm out so like i actually have a memoir project that i worked on so i'm thinking about You know, I I actually finished it, now I have to copy edit it and then maybe find someone to work with on that. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of um, something that I'm interested in sort of getting out there. Um, But yeah, I mean, that's sort of what I have on my uh, agenda now. Um, But I think also being able to turn it into sort of like a lessons learned kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So basically it's like, yeah, this is so like after flogging X amount of people, these are then the lessons you draw, the life lessons that you draw from it. And so that's not only the memoir, but also in the other talks that I would probably give to different audiences. So that's sort of how I'm sort of thinking about the next steps with BDSM.
1: I love that. I love that. Well, we're coming up on our hour. So I have one final question. It's the question we ask everybody to kind of put the bow the lovely bow on it what does sex mean to you
0: honestly I think just sex me like it was funny because like I think that this uh you know the this is kind of like a a question that I actually got like over and over again as a title holder especially like in contests and stuff like you Mm would give it to contestants and I think for me I think it just means fun (laughs) yeah like i always uh talk about it as like a kid in a candy store and it's interesting because it's like you know i i really really do believe that like you know the best way i i I honestly for me um for for, again this i'm only talking about myself but um the best way for me to connect with other people and to really know them is through these sexual interactions and not only it's a way for pleasure Mm. but it's a way for me to actually connect with other people yeah so and, and and i feel like in general like you know it's not necessarily about like uh like i feel like when i started thinking about sex as a way to connect with people i found that like sexual interest sort of You know Mm -hmm. it's uh, changed i found that my palate started to grow Mm -hmm. i started to realize i'm connecting with all these different kinds of people that i normally wouldn't Mm -hmm. and so i i honestly think it made me feel a lot more you know like connected and so Mm -hmm. i mean i think that even when i go to these spaces that are like based in um like that are like very sexually charged and erotic like that's sort of what i like about is the fact that we could all be friends and still have sex with each other
1: yeah Um, fuck yeah
0: yeah and like not only that but like you know even in the leather world like i loved being in the idea of like well oh so i'm here and then like uh, i see a friend over there and like somebody just like grabbed my ass or touched my chest and i'm like oh hey it's good to see you too (laughs) but again like it like again like um for me personally you know um uh like because i know these people like i'm i'm comfortable with that Mm -hmm. but like, you know, it's it just a sort of way to sort of a, a tool to sort of connect with people. Hmm. So I just kind of see it that way as a means of connection uh, and a way to foster friendships as opposed oh. to like something. Yeah. So that's just sort of how I personally see it with my own experiences. And I know other people have different um understandings of sex and consent based off of that. Mm-hmm. But again, just for me, like, especially when I'm in those specific spaces, like that's sort of how I feel. And like, be, like, I mean, it's been a privilege to be able to experience them. And that's sort of what I hope to sort of, you know, I, I hope to give that pleasure and feeling of connection to other people through mm-hmm. uh, through what I do as somebody that teaches and writes and um, talks about this.
1: Oh, That was a solid answer. Fully solid answer. So, Ollie, where can people find you? Throw the socials out. I think it's getting wolfy for most, basically everything, right? (laughs)
0: Pretty much like uh, my Instagram, <laughs> Twitter, and Facebook is, you know, um, it's all pretty much getting Wolfie. So at getting Wolfie at Twitter, at getting Wolfie at Instagram, I think, ha- uh, uh facebook.com backslash getting Wolfie. Um, and then there's also getting Wolfie.com. And also if you're interested in my courses, uh, it's getting com okay. and then it'll, and basically right now, like, um. Yeah, the class just debuted, and, like, it, it, like people Yay. have been just so amazing with it. So, That's so awesome. Yeah. Like, I mean, seriously, I, I'm just I, – I feel like, you know – it's just it's been such a great way because it's like now like when i when i'm taking on clients it's like i it's like i'm seeing people that it's like well oh yeah i was you that i was you or mm-hmm. I, I, I i did that too and that's what i thought too or like i've had that negative situation too and it's just been really great kind of connecting with people over that idea of like yeah like i, I, I can kind of see myself and a lot of the people i work with and it's just you know the people uh, and it's just almost like yeah like you know it if you w- are willing to learn i'm willing to teach so i mean it's just it's been a wonderful experience and I'm super I feel like it's a privilege just to meet everybody and I get to meet you Yay! so I mean like yeah so and I think that like you know through this process it's just been an overall positive experience
1: Mm. thank you so much for listening to another exciting episode of coming and other stuff you should know my name is Forrest
0: my name is Ali
1: and do not forget to always stay open stay curious and stay stay coming thank you so much everyone bye bye Thanks for tuning in to another exciting episode of Coming and Other Stuff You Should Know. Have a question or topic suggestion we should cover? Send an email to comingpod at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow our official Instagram at comingandotherstuff. In Come again soon.